Thank you for listening to The Actors Room. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes and leave comments and reviews. The show is also on Facebook, Twitter, Google Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. The website for the show is theactorsroom.libsyn.com. The site gives you access to all past episodes. Enjoy the show. Episode number 32, and the title of this episode is Michael J. Fox. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Actors Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and I just want to go ahead right off the bat and let you know that um, I have put a donate button on my show uh, webpage. So if you want to support the show even more, go ahead and uh, leave a dollar, whatever you can, uh, to help out the show. Uh, We really need it. Um, to continue further on uh, in our episodes, uh, future ones, that is. I'm looking forward to diving into a lot of other actors and actresses in the future. So go ahead and support the show uh, with the donate button or just go on the website, uh, theactorsroom.lipson.com, and I have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, and I think that's it. I'm also on TuneIn Radio and Stitcher Radio. So if you have access to those sites, some people like to go to those sites. Uh, they have a lot of great shows, a lot of great podcasts on those sites. Um, I'm also on those as well. So if you want to check that out, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, welcome back once again. Um, on a personal note, doing this episode, right off the bat, just want to explain myself. I had promised a couple of weeks ago that I was going to do Michael J. Fox next. And uh, I did my research on him. All week, that week, for some reason, I just had a hard time reading about him. It was tough because he had been such a big part of my childhood. Um, Some of my favorite films as a kid were of Michael J. Fox. Um, Of course, Back to the Future is my personal favorite movie besides The Godfather. I don't think there's another movie that I've seen more than Back to the Future. I even considered watching it again this week. And I just watched it about a month ago. I could probably watch it almost every week. I think most of us have that one movie that we'll just never get tired of. Well, that's the one for me. It was uh, 1985 that film came out. And it really just touched me. It was such a fun movie to watch. Uh, It's a Steven Spielberg production. And I think that they really, and Robert Zemeckis, they really did something different. The whole time machine thing, it worked. Uh, using the DeLorean, the car as a time machine was really cool. Everybody was just like, it was just a different kind of car. And Michael J. Fox that I knew from 
family ties. One of my favorite sitcoms as a kid as well. I mean, he just came out of nowhere and it was such an engaging person, uh, engaging actor. And Back to the Future comes out and he just exploded off the screen. Um, And we're going to get into what it took for him to make that movie because he nearly didn't make that film. And it's a very interesting story. So we will dive into that in a little bit. Uh, The first thing I want to do is tell you about his childhood, uh, his parents. He had uh, a wonderful father and a wonderful mother growing up. Michael J. Fox was born on June 9th, 1961 in Edmonton, Canada. So if you didn't know that, Michael J. Fox is Canadian. His mother's name is Phyllis and his father's name is William. Now his dad He was a sergeant in the Royal Canadian Army. So that meant that, of course, the family moved around a lot. And his father would find employment at six different army bases. His father specialized in decoding for the army. Now, Michael remembers that the family could never visit his dad's office because it was kind of like this really top secret job. Kind of neat, right? And it had a little bit of mystery to his father. And uh, Michael would always find that kind of interesting that his dad had sort of a, a cool thing about him. And his job was important. Now, as a young child, Michael, he was a handful. Okay, I think he was one of those kids that needed to be on Ritalin. Uh, he states that his family told him he was a whirlwind. Just a fury. Could never sit still. Always cheerful. Bright and funny. He was off the wall, sort of out of this world, kind of funny, some people would say. That his humor, the way he just bounced off the walls, was so different, unique. There was some kind of spark in this kid. Uh, If the family saw it back then, and the, the one person in his life that saw it the most was his grandmother. He called her Nana, and he would also explain that she possessed a special gift. They all believed that she was a clairvoyant. She would have dreams and then she would you know, wake up the next morning and she was sort of a newspaper, they would say. In the morning, they'd all come down, have breakfast, and she would go ahead and explain to them pretty much what they were going to do throughout the day. And most of the time, really kind of scary, it came true. So Nana being a clairvoyant, meant that, you know, she was a little different too, right? She identified with Michael, the way he was a a bouncy kid, artful kid, all over the place, just full of life. So the both of them kind of found an interest in talking about the same things. She supported him and his craziness. So I think that is really important in the life of Michael J. Fox is his grandmother. Here's a cute little story. The one time they were moving, okay, and they're in the process of unpacking and getting things in order. And I think Michael was a toddler at this time, around two or three years old. And he was climbing inside and outside boxes um, and folding and unfolding the clothes, just not cooperating, doing what he wanted to do. And at one point, built himself a nest of clothes. And when they looked over, he had made himself a little bed, right, out of the clothes, and uh, he fell asleep. Now, he remembers watching old home movies of himself as a child. Now, this is later on in his life. I guess after, you know, his 
father had passed and, and uh, his grandmother had passed, um, someone in his family had home videos that they had taken, of course, when Michael was a little boy. And these are videos that he hadn't seen in a long time. And they had given these videos to Michael. And Michael was very gracious in accepting them and said to himself, I can't, I can't, I can't look at these right now. Because, you know, when you're thinking about, yeah, I just lost somebody recently. So I can kind of identify with that. You know, it just may not be uh, a right time for you to sit down and watch it. Because you know that if you do watch it, uh, you're going to get very emotional. And it's going to bring back stuff that, you know, maybe not at the current time you want to, you know, go through. Um, But he did finally get the courage to put in these home videos. He did... And he saw himself as a little child. And first off, he saw his dad. That brought back a lot of memories. And when you're watching a home video from years ago, and you see your dad at the age of 25, 30, you go, oh my God, look at the way they were. I forgot that's the way they looked back then. It sparks extra memories. But anyways, Michael thought to himself how nice it was to see himself as a little kid And seeing how much of a handful he was and how difficult he was and how he was just running around. But he was always keeping himself busy, he he thought. The little Michael. And he was having a purpose even back then. A touching note I have here is about Mike's dad. Now, the dad would leave a beer out for Santa Claus on Christmas Eve instead of cookies. And Mike would sneak downstairs when he was little and spy on his dad on the staircase. Now, the dad would sit there right in front of the tree with his beer and just look at the tree. Now, I guess one time Mike fell asleep on the stairs. And, you know, because he was spying on his dad, he just sort of fell asleep. And his dad saw him and carried him to bed. Now, as the dad was carrying him to bed, Mike, he asked him, he said, you know, what are you doing? Why do you stay up? Do you want to stay up to see Santa? And his dad said, of course. You know, just in case Santa needed help putting something together. You know, when Santa comes over and he has to build you something, most of the time he forgets his wrench. So I stay up and I show him where the wrench is. But I guess his dad loved to stay up late and stare at the tree with all the presents underneath. And he would have a big smile on his face. Mike knew that his dad had been through a lot in his earlier life, and he took the time during Christmas to be thankful for what he had, and that was a family. His grandmother had even predicted that Michael was going to be famous someday. Just you wait and see, she said. Michael's parents were a bit concerned about him, though. He was a little kid, and it looked like he would be limited with job opportunities. But it was soon realized that he had a future in the arts. You know, they, they thought, okay, this kid, small, wiry. He was, he was a small kid. Um, he's not going to have too much, you know, if he can't make it uh, doing one thing. He might find it hard to get a, a regular job, the way how small he is. And I think that Michael had a special keen interest in the arts. And the parents seeing this, I think they realized themselves that the best course of action for Michael, because he was doing little plays at this time, was to maybe see where this art thing can go. Now, Michael claims that most things came quite naturally to him. 
especially writing. And at the age of six, he was writing long poems and short stories. And he would read a book cover to cover, and then out of memory, fill pages of illustrations about its meaning. He was blowing his parents away with his keen mind and artistic ability. Michael J. Fox taught himself to play guitar and soon enough was in a band with a fellow classmate in middle school. The band's name was Halix. They made the usual rounds playing high schools, Navy bases, and sometimes clubs that they weren't supposed to play in. He also got a good taste of theater in, uh, was it junior high? I think it was junior high. Um, I mentioned it. I think he did plays a little before then, but it was in junior high that he finally got a good taste of theater. Now, learning the lines, no problem, came very easy to him, and he loved taking on this new challenge. Now, he found that he could simply slip into another skin's character. Acting provided him the freedom to use his impulses and behave in a manner that suited him. And for Michael J. Fox, that was perfect. Now, in school, uh, he excelled in the arts, of course, but paid no attention to the other important subjects. His straight A's in elementary school were a thing of the past. He started to struggle mightily with math and science, and it created friction between him and his father. Michael was also hanging out with a rowdy group, and he found himself tucked away in homes, smoking and drinking beer most nights. He also had the uncanny penchant to put dents into his father's cars, yet dad still allied... <laughs> Sorry. I'm thinking uh, of my own childhood here. I was, the, I was the worst driver. Oh my God, it was horrible. When I first started driving, look out. I wasn't ready to drive at 16. No way in hell. God bless my father for letting me drive. And I, I dented up his cars. I'm surprised he let me drive at all. Well, this is what Michael J. Fox did to his poor dad's car. But of course, he had a really nice dad too. He's denting up his car. He still allowed him to drive. In the summer of 1977 came an audition. A friend mentioned the audition to him. And the part called for a bright 12-year-old. Now, I think Michael was around 14 at this time. But because he looked young, they felt, you know, this would be perfect for you. Now, Michael looked young enough to play the role, like I said, and he decided, why not? I'll give it a try. I'll audition. The show was called Leo and Me, and it was a cattle call audition. It was a one in a thousand shot, but Michael was extremely confident. I could get this. He went to the audition, memorized his line, located where the jokes were in the text, and then he nailed the audition. He got the call back and then got the part. His mom was stunned. Michael? Nope, he wasn't stunned at all. It was that easy. Bam. He got a leading role in a television sitcom. It was also slated to be in a movie when school ended. That spring. Michael was 16 years old and already pulling in $6,000 in the summer of 1977. He was receiving solid reviews for his professional acting, yet he was flunking out of high school. So he made a tough decision. He would drop out of high school. Now his parents actually supported him with this. He was making a living as an actor. And at this point, he was making more money 
than his father. He would dedicate all his time and effort into becoming an actor. He would move to Los Angeles and give it all he had. Even his father would drive him out there and help him get agents. He believed in him that much. I guess his dad saw him in a production once, sitting in the audience, watching a live show. And his dad had said, I I can't believe that's my son. He is good. And he knew it. You just have that feeling about someone. And his father knew that his son had what it took. Now, Michael had work lined up in Canada. Okay. He was a very successful Canadian actor. He had stuff lined up. But he decided to scratch it. And then move to Los Angeles to give it a try in America. Make it in movies. Make it in TV. In America. Bigger challenge. More money, probably. I mean, he's thinking big here. He is not fucking around. He has something in his head. He says, you know what? I have faith in myself. I could do this. Dad, will you help me? And the dad said, fine, I will. I'll even drive you there. We'll set you up. We'll make you get comfortable, and then you're on your own. Now, he was taking a big risk here. Now, he had a very nice, steady income in Canada. Being a Canadian actor, he had jobs lined up. He had stuff in the future. It was going good, and I think that's what gave him the confidence, and he thought to himself, I'll just go to Los Angeles. I'm going to take what I'm doing here, and I have been successful here, and I'm going to continue it. In Los Angeles. And that's a risk. But he was relying on his special skill. And you know what that special skill was? The fact that he looked really young. Younger than he really was. And he felt that because of this special skill. He was. uh, Had a little bit more of an advantage. Over the next guy. And I think that's what gave him the confidence. To go out to Los Angeles. And give it 100%. With the help from his Canadian connections, he had interviews set up with possible agent representation, and he got them all. Within the first four days in L.A., he had a handful of agents and even auditioned for a few shows. And he got callbacks on all of them. Can you believe that? Michael J. Fox was very good at auditioning. This is easy, he thought. His first job in America was a film called Midnight Madness. It was a Disney picture, and he felt that it was definitely a a good picture uh, for him to start off with. And although the project wasn't successful, he felt he was definitely on his way. He was just turning 18 years old, and he remembers how he felt, and he felt like a man. Now, this is a list of Michael J. Fox's worldly possessions as he moved to Los Angeles. In his duffel bag, he had this. Mostly dirty clothes. A hot plate, kitchenware, blanket, bed sheets, and a wind-up alarm clock. He got an apartment for $225 a month. To him, it was paradise. And now that he was a professional actor working in America, there was one small problem. His name. Michael Fox. This name was already taken. There was already an actor named Michael Fox. I guess he was a character actor. Now, he had to make a decision here. He had to tweak his name a little bit. 
His middle name is actually Andrew. But that wouldn't work because it would be Michael A. Fox. And when you think about that, Michael A. Fox. With the word Fox being a synonym for being attractive, he didn't want to be presumptuous. So he ultimately decided J to be his middle initial. Now this was a dedication to his favorite actor, Michael J. Pollard. Now, Michael J. Fox landed three roles after Midnight Express, but no movies. He did audition for Ordinary People and even got a callback. But Robert Redford, the director of Ordinary People, was not impressed with his reading. And I guess Michael J. Fox remembers Redford sitting there flossing his teeth while he auditioned. So I guess he was just not impressed. Now, I guess he had, did have steady work, Michael, his first few years, and even appeared in the cinema classic class of 1984. Nothing spectacular, but he was working. And although he was working for the most part, he was completely and utterly broke. He had trusted a few Hollywood types who promised him certain things and never delivered. Translation, when you're wet behind the ears in the business and there are people out there willing to help you out, uh, they're not helping you out for free. There's always a catch. And what happens is, oh, they will steal from you and give you nothing in return. And this is what happened to Michael J. Fox early in his career. And uh, these people, they were pulling in part of his paycheck. Plus, he brought along with him a monster he kept locked hidden in a kitchen cabinet. Think about that. We'll get to that later. His early maturing process was a slow burn for Michael. He just wasn't taking care of himself the way he took care of his career. His main form of nutrition was McDonald's. He was drinking and smoking more than he should have. He wasn't familiar with American taxes. And he found himself falling further and further in debt. Now, he was not a U.S. citizen at this time. And because he wasn't a U.S. citizen, he wasn't able to get a normal job. He wasn't allowed to wait on tables or, or uh, you know, load boxes into a truck. He just couldn't do it. So the only way he could make money in America was by being an actor. So getting jobs as an actor for him, it became even more important. I think maybe some actors will go out and audition for a job here and there. And maybe not have that dire, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it's more important, maybe. Or for another actor who could have a fallback job, like waiting on tables. They had a paycheck coming in. If they didn't get this role, that's okay. There's another one. Michael J. Fox, okay, that was different for him. He didn't have anything else. Every audition was fucking important. The end of the world. I gotta get this job. And he took that attitude in with him when he auditioned every single time. And I think that's why he got so many roles. He was so intense, concentrated in his auditions. As a young budding actor, auditions are fucking difficult. And he hated going to auditions. But he he made it a point uh, to learn the game. There was a certain way to act around a director, a casting director. uh, The person sitting across from you at the other table. When you're getting up there and doing an audition, it's really fucking weird. I mean... You are putting yourself out there 
and there's someone behind that table that has an idea in their head about the character, the job you're trying to get, and just because you might have brown hair, you're out already. But there's always that slim chance that you can convince him that the brown hair is good for the part. And I think Michael J. Fex was good at that. Although he walked in the room and he's a short little kid, <laughs> you know, he's a short guy, I mean, uh, I'm sure most casting directors were turned off right away. But it was his charm, his wit, uh, the way he carried himself. He was very funny. And he wooed them. Knocked out the uh, audition piece. Uh, he was very keen on memorizing the lines for the most part. Uh, coming in there very prepared. I think directors like to see that. And uh, being very organized. Put together. And Michael J. Fox proved that the audition process is quite important. Then came a TV show that will change his life forever. Do you know who was supposed to play Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties? Matthew Broderick. Producer Gary Goldberg believed that Matthew Broderick was perfect to play Alex. But it didn't happen, of course. Broderick decided to do theater instead of Family Ties. They needed another actor. And there was another casting director on the show that kept mentioning Fox. I guess Michael J. Fox auditioned just like everybody else, including Broderick. Okay, Broderick was the first choice. Couldn't do it. Or just didn't want to do it. Had something else he wanted to do. He wanted to do theater. Whatever. So the part was open again. Michael J. Fox was actually one of the very first actors to audition for this role. That was probably hundreds, if not Thousands of actors trying out for it. Now, there was a casting director in the room when Michael J. Fox first did his audition, and she loved him. She was a big supporter of Michael instead of Matthew. And when Matthew bowed out, this casting director told what Gary Goldberg, the producer, Gary, remember Michael J. Fox? Gary's like, no, I don't. Gary, you got to bring this kid in. He was fucking amazing. He was he is Alex P. Keaton. And uh, Gary's like, no, he's not. We got to really try to get Michael uh, Matthew Broderick back. We got to do it. And she's like, listen, I think this is all for the best. Have Michael come in. Let him read. Believe me, he's perfect. And Gary was just getting sick and tired of hearing about it. So he's like, finally, he broke down and said, bring the fucking kid in. But I'm telling you, I'm not changing my mind. Well, Michael came in for the audition and met up with the casting director, and she talked to him for a brief moment about what was going to happen. There are a lot of important people in the room. She told him, I'm behind you. I want you for this. Go in there. Dazzle them. Show a side of Alex. Uh, show a side that's soft, reserved, and fun. And because Alex is sort of a tight ass with money, you know, he's this, uh, you know, uh, you know, Kind of better than everybody else. Loves money. Uh, your yuppie kind of character. Uh, one of the reasons why Michael got the role. Is because he showed another side. Of Alex P. Keaton. So when he came in the audition room. He blew him away. And more so he blew the producer. Gary Goldberg. The one that didn't want him. He was laughing so hard. He had to compose himself. Got up and told the casting director. Where this kid has been the whole time. And why didn't you tell me about him? You know, as a joke. But the brass of NBC, they weren't convinced yet. The, the process of casting Michael J. Fox 
wasn't exactly 100% just yet. It also, it's such bullshit. I mean, doing this shit, um, trying to get on a sitcom, all this stuff that he had to go through. Now it had to be up to the NBC staff, the bigwigs, right? And I guess they weren't convinced of him either. They didn't like the fact that he was so short. It really bothered this one executive at NBC. And he was second-guessing Gary Goldberg's choice. So what happened was, I guess Gary told the staff at NBC and this big producer, give him the pilot. The pilot is the show that kicks off everything in a sitcom. The very first show. Come on, watch the pilot, and I'm telling you, you will be on board with me. So they all sat down and they watched the pilot and he blew everybody away. So much so that they felt that he might be the most important character in the show. The producer Goldberg stated that when he gave Alex Keaton two jokes in the dialogue, he gave me four laughs. They found their guy. Not only is Michael J. Fox talented, but he is daring in his comedy. He has a great timing as an actor. He's a likable character. There it is. This can describe Michael J. Fox more than anything else. Don't you agree with me? He's likable. The show Family Ties was not an immediate success. It didn't even make the top 30 shows the first year. But the studio, NBC, they loved the show mostly because of Michael J. Fox. The producer of the show remembers that the Alex P. Keaton character wasn't supposed to be the main focus. It was supposed to be the parents. And the producer says that the audience was falling in love with him. They filmed the show in front of a live studio audience. And when Fox came on stage to do his scene, you can actually see the audience move forward in their seat. And when Fox edited stage left, the audience sat back. Just incredible. Now there is the it factor. Very rare. He won three Emmys for his role of Alex in Family Ties. His first Emmy meant so much to him. You could see it on his face, grinning ear to ear. And he remarked that he felt four feet tall. Although his star was rising fast, he never displayed or asserted his status because, you know, his status was rising, but he never showed it. You know, he got the fact that he was, you know, this big star or a rising star, but he never made a point to show it. He always made sure that it was comfortable on the set, never full of himself. He was quite simply having a great time working in the business he loved. His hard work and patience, it paid off. He was a working actor, and most of all, he was successful. It was happening. He was so energetic, and we fell in love with Michael J. Fox. With the success of Family Ties, he was offered his first movie role. The movie? Teen Wolf. Hey, I liked it. My brother, he was real little when this came out, 1985. 
And uh, I think this came out after Back to the Future, actually. So he was already a huge star. Uh, but this was the first movie, the big one that he did. And they actually filmed this before Back to the Future, but it didn't come out till after. They held on to it. Just in case Back to the Future was a big hit, which it was. Then they kind of rode those coattails. Um, Michael did not like this movie. He was very hesitant to do it. The fact that he was playing a werewolf, it was stupid. But it was a fun movie, and I wanted to point this out. My, my, my dad took me and my brother when we were younger. My brother was five years old, maybe four at this time. And he did not turn around. He hung on to my dad when Michael J. Fox's character turns into the wolf for the first time. He's in front of the mirror. He's watching himself go through the change. My brother, he got white as a ghost, held on to my dad, and just didn't let go. I felt so sorry for him. He was petrified, just the way I was. The Incredible Hulk scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I, I just look at uh, Lou Ferrigno. He played the Hulk in the '80s sitcom, the show. What a scary guy! I was petrified. And also, if Michael Myers, the Halloween character, I would close my eyes at night to go to sleep, and I saw that mask. I was just like, ah. I don't think I slept for like four years. But anyways. With Family Ties being such a big show, he was exposing himself to a lot of other people in the business. Not only the audience, of course, but other people in the business started taking notice of him, uh, of how successful he was being and so on. And one of those people was Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg was a big part of Back to the Future, with Robert Zemeckis being the director. Uh, Spielberg produced the film, and he had his eye. On Michael J. Fox to play the main character. But there was a problem. Okay. Uh, Michael J. Fox was on a sitcom. A very successful one. And he was like the number one person. There was no way the producer was going to let him get away from him. He's got a contract with us. He is in this show. I'm sorry. He can't be in your movie. It just is impossible. He can't do both. So. Steven Spielberg said fine. We'll find another actor. And they did. They found the actor, Eric Stoltz. And if most of you know this story, okay, this is how it went. Eric Stoltz was hired as Marty McFly. And he did. And I think that they completed about 75% of that movie. 75%. Which means that they were probably filming about two months with Eric Stoltz. You can actually see some footage of Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly. Blows you away. It was so different. Eric Stoltz had a little darker spin on his character. And uh, Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis hated it. Plus, the other people on set, the other actors, didn't like Stoltz either. Especially uh, Biff, okay, John Wilson, I believe his name is. I had heard him in an interview. And he does not like Eric Stoltz. Because Eric Stoltz was a method actor. Very into it. So uh, he had everybody calling him, uh, you know, Marty on set, and he took it very seriously. And I guess uh, Biff and him are doing a scene where in the cafeteria, uh, Marty kind of confronts and defends his dad, or was it the mom? He was defending one of them, and I guess Marty's character goes ahead and pushes Biff, if you remember. There's a a nice little push there, where Eric Stoltz, during rehearsals, was really giving it to Biff. Really hitting his collarbone, he said. And he said, listen, Eric. And he wasn't like Eric, 
Stoltz was not paying attention to him. So he's like, oh, he wants me to call Marty for fuck's sake. Marty! <laughs> Listen, Marty, uh, you don't have to hit me that hard. This is a movie, you know? Uh, rehearsing. Don't hit me that hard. Uh, so the very next scene, what did Eric Stoltz do? He hit him hard. And Biff was getting pissed. And he thought to himself, when uh, we're doing that scene later on in the movie where, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to punch you. I may actually punch you. <laughs> or you know what? You're going to feel my wrath in any way. But it turns out that Eric Stoltz just wasn't working out, obviously, in the movie. And uh, they fired him. They got rid of him and pled and begged the producer of Family Ties to get Michael Anyway, just there was there any way to get this kid? We'll work it out. We'll make up a schedule where both of us can get what they wanted, and everybody could get what they wanted. Really, to keep Michael on uh, the show, Family Ties, a successful show. Uh, have him do Back to the Future, which he was going to be perfect for, and Michael J. Fox himself, not only being in a successful show but also have a chance to work with Steven Spielberg in a movie that could be huge. And he did. They worked out a schedule where he would work on the show from, I believe, 9 o'clock in the morning till about 5 o'clock in the evening, sort of like a regular job. And then he would someone ship him off to the Back to the Future set where he would work from, I think, 7 at night till sometimes 2 or 3 in the morning. Think of that schedule. So he, I got, he would have a couple hours of sleep a night. You would think maybe he would fall asleep from like five in the morning till eight. So three hours, you know, they would have people, assistants be on guard with him. Like he didn't have an alarm clock or anything. They had people come to his apartment where he was staying, wake him up, push him in the shower, make his coffee for him. Uh, drag him into the car to go to Family Ties. And as soon as Family Ties was over, he had about an hour, and then someone would pick him up, drive him to the uh, Back to the Future studios, and they would film at night. And most of that film, you will notice, it's filmed at night, except for some of the other scenes that are filmed in, in the day, they would do on the weekends. So Michael J. Fox really went through a lot at this time, worked his ass off to get both of those projects done. And uh, you wouldn't know. I think he looks, he doesn't look tired to me at all. Uh, I think that he was mostly tired on uh, family ties in the morning, sort of, you know, brushing off everything that happened the day before. So he kind of was hard to get going for the family ties sitcoms. But he looks pretty fresh in those Back to the Future movie. And he did a fantastic job. It was a hit. And Michael J. Fox would go on to say, That when he watches Back to the Future, and every time he sees it, he thinks to himself, I don't remember doing that. He really doesn't remember acting in that movie. Now, I guess during the premiere of Back to the Future in Europe, he uh, had met Princess Diana. She was there to watch the premiere in England. And when Michael J. Fox went to sit down in his seat to view this premiere, guess who sat next to him? Princess Diane. He sat next to Princess Diane for the whole premiere of the England showing. And he thought, oh my God, this is surreal. And I guess Michael J. Fox had a few beers before the premiere just to kind of loosen himself up. And what happens when you drink a few beers? You got to take a piss. 
And it hit him. Right there and then. The picture didn't even start yet. And there he was sitting next to Princess Diana. And I guess there are rules. When you're among royalty. You don't get up unless they get up. And you don't talk to them unless they talk to you. So Michael J. Fox states that those were the longest, most excruciating two hours he ever experienced in his life. He had to take a piss that bad. But Michael J. Fox was now an A-list movie star and started getting lots of fan mail. And I want to go ahead and play a little clip for you about this very thing. Do you take your fan mail seriously enough so that you will remember, for instance, your first piece of fan mail? You know, you said that to me earlier, and I, and I thought, <clears throat> and I was trying to think of what it was. Actually, what, I, what sticks out in my mind is that when I, I did a series called Palmerstown, which was, uh, I think, 80-81, Alex Haley and Norman Lear produced it, and it was an hour-long drama. And uh, over the two years, the two abbreviated seasons that we did that, I got about eight pieces of mail. And uh, I had it in a little envelope. So the other day, I was sorting through all my mail, and I have, like, you know, I don't mean to brag or anything, but I had this closet, and I'm taking these boxes of mail out of the closet, and this little envelope filtered down the front. I opened it up, and it was my eight little fan letters from Palmerstown. And I read them, and uh, it meant as much to me as all the, all the other ones. And during all this, he was still acting on family ties. He made a commitment to it. The show lasted seven seasons, and not once did Fox ask for any special treatment. For the entire seven years, he stayed the same. And in saying that, I mean that he never changed his dressing room, and he had the same parking spot and kept the same billing. Goes to show how modest and professional he really was. He had made the film called Secret of My Success in 1987 and Bright Lights Big City, in 1988. I recommend both of those movies, but especially Secret of My Success. You get some fun acting from Michael J. Fox. I enjoyed that film when I was small. I haven't seen it probably since then. You got that uh, that song in the limo <clears throat> that was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well, that mm, bow, bow, and it's a really, really cute scene. Um, I would recommend that very much. Uh, Bright Lights, Big City. I've only seen once, and it was about five, ten years ago. It was okay. Um, I, I would like to watch it again, actually. It's a more of a dramatic role for Michael J. Fox. Now, the 1990s were not very kind to Michael J. Fox in regards to movies like they were in the 80s. Now, he would star in films like The Hard Way, For Love or Money, and Greedy. And Greedy is a, a fun film uh, to watch. My brother loves that movie. It's got Kirk Douglas in it. It's got Phil Hartman in it. And there's some really funny moments. So if you want a good, solid comedy, I recommend Greedy. But before I dive more into his films, I want to note that uh, Michael J. Fox battled with his addiction to alcohol. It came to a head when he was filming The Hard Way. His wife, Tracy, saw that it was affecting the relationship. Now, when he realized that if he didn't stop drinking, he could lose his family. He quit immediately. And I also want to touch on the war film that Michael did in 1989 called Casualties of War. And this was directed by Brian De Palma. It's a good film. Very underrated. Uh, there are plenty of war films out there. And this one should be on your list if you've never seen it. Um, it's a drama piece for Fox and he pulls it off. For some reason, I think it's hard for most of us who are Michael J. Fox fans to take him serious. 
uh, when he does a dramatic role. I don't know why that is. I think we just have it set in our mind that he's such a fun character that it's hard for us to see him doing anything else. But if you take a look at movies like Bright Likes Big City and this Casualties of War, he he can pull that off as well. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he gets the respect that he deserves as an actor for taking on drama pieces. I think that when he does a drama piece, it's less successful than when he does something more light. And that's a shame. I think it really is because I think he has the ability to do that. And for that, I feel he's underrated. Um, He does some great work. I mean, take a look at the movie. Um, And Sean Penn does a nice job. No doubt about it. In Casualties of War, it's disturbing. It's about Vietnam. And you can take notice of Michael J. Fox pulling off a drama role. Brilliant acting. I guess Sean Penn would make fun of Michael J. Fox on set and call him a nothing and a two-bit TV actor just to keep his character honest. Most of the cast and crew got sick because they weren't used to drinking the water there. So they were drinking the water and most of the people that worked on this picture uh, got some kind of stomach thing. Where they really messed them up and they were sick for like a week or two. Well, Michael got it as well. And he says that, you know, he got sick, drank the water, got sick. And after that, it pretty much made his stomach bulletproof because he claims that he was able to eat anything he wanted with no repercussions. Doc Hollywood, 1991. Now, this is a time period that Michael was seeing the first signs of his Parkinson's disease. I guess one morning he woke up and he found his pinky finger to shake. It was just shaking his pinky finger, twitching more like it actually. And he couldn't get it to stop no matter what he did. It didn't matter. He tried jumping up and down. He, you know, he tried uh, actually putting it to sleep. You know how you could put your, your foot to sleep and it tingles and everything and you get that cold sensation. Well, he even tried to do that. To try to numb it up and see maybe if it would just wake up or anything like that. Nothing was working. So after about an hour or two, you know, he was alone um, on set. And he went ahead and called his wife, who is kind of a hypochondriac. And she has like this big medical book that she has to reference every now and then. I have an aunt that's like that. And I remember growing up, if there was something wrong with anybody in the family... Like, she was the one to call because she had this special book. They had every single fucking disease you can imagine, right? So if you had some kind of, you know, symptom, you were like, oh, my God, what's going on with me? You know, I have this this thing going. I have this, like, twitch or I have a pain in my side. You would call up Aunt Debbie and she'd look it up and uh, pretty much told you you had cancer. Everything led to cancer, right? We, we've been dying since we were born, of course. But anyways, Tracy Pollock, I think she's kind of like that. Some people are. They're just... Real sensitive about, you know, how they're feeling. And if something's off, it's like, oh my God, I got to go to the doctor right away. So he called his wife and said, my pinky will not stop moving. What's going on? And she, being a hypochondriac, felt, well, you know what? You do a lot of, you know, movies and, and you're falling down and you're doing certain stunts. And I guess on Back to the Future 3, he was uh, getting shot at by the old Biff back in the West, and he had him up uh, by his neck, kind of hanging. You know how they do it back then, and they hung people? Well, I guess Michael J. Fox made a mistake somewhere in the uh, just being careful 
uh, doing stunts and something with that scene. Well, for a few seconds, he was actually being choked. And it scared the crap out of him. Uh, and, the, you know, of course, they released him from the rope. He fell. And also during the fall, you know, he, fells, he, he feels that he could have done some damage to himself doing that picture. So I think Tracy kind of calmed him down and is like, listen, I'm sure you just kind of banged up something. Maybe you banged up your elbow and your pinky finger is just feeling the effects. But Michael really did feel that something was wrong. We know our bodies. And when we think something is not right, I hate going to the doctor. Most men do. And if, if I feel something is really wrong with me, I will make that decision be like, okay, I got to go in. Um, we know our bodies. And I think Michael J. Fox in the back of his head knew something was wrong. And his assistant, I guess her, his assistant had um, a husband that was... Uh, I think specialized in that sort of thing. So he called him up and they had a nice conversation. Uh, he went in for tests. And I think the first round of tests pretty much told him that he just bumped his arm. There was nothing wrong with him neurologically. There was something um, maybe going on with his arm. So for a while, he believed that and he would still get symptoms. Something was wrong. He got tested again and again. And it was very rare for someone of his age. He was 29. When he was diagnosed for Parkinson's, usually it's around, I think, 50 to 60 years old. It's a rare case, but they pretty much said you have Parkinson's and he had to deal with that. He had to go home and tell his wife. He said, boy, the world really did look quite different after I found out I had this disease and was sort of a clincher for him that his life was going to change. And he will go on to say that ever since he has Parkinson's. It really changed his life. It opened up his eyes to many different things of the world, how he treats people, how people treat him, and how he can make a difference in the world of Parkinson's and doing the best that he can to make people aware of it. And then above all, to do all he can with all of his heart and power and uh, his talent and what he can do with it, that possibly there can be a cure for this disease. And it's such a heart-wrenching disease. And one of the main reasons why it was very difficult for me to do this episode, seeing him the way he is now is so heartbreaking. That poor man can't sit still. I mean, just like when he was a kid, but in a different way. He can't sit still. The way he moves around and his head jerks around and he's constantly moving and it's got to be so frustrating for him. He's got to be going out of his mind some days. I'm sure it's difficult. And I'm sure he's doing the best he can to get used to it. He has to. I mean, there's no, nothing. What is he going to do? I mean, I think there's medication out there, but he's got to be on some good medication. And when you see him in interviews, like recently, he can't sit still. It's a constant movement thing going on with him. So my heart really does go out to anybody that's struggling with a disease that like that or any disease at all. I mean, I was at church yesterday and we have this one girl. She went out. To, I forget the country. I'm sorry. But she went to a, a third world country and saw things that, God bless her heart, I could never, I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could take that. I mean, she saw lepers, she said. I mean, I, I didn't even think lepers existed anymore. But the point I'm trying to make is that if you're healthy and you get things going pretty good, be thankful. 
Be very, very thankful. I think most of us take for granted just how fucking lucky you really are. So when you think about that, just take a second to do that. Okay, we're going to get back on track. In 1995, hit a nice small role in The American President. Then Michael decided that he would tackle television again and star in a little show called Spin City. He was back where he belonged, and it was a beautiful thing. The guy just loves television, and guess what? Television loves Michael J. Fox. Spin City would go on to win several Golden Globes and Emmy Awards. Michael himself took home two Golden Globes. The concept for the show came from his performance in the film The American President. His character in the film was so engaging that they wanted to turn it into a sitcom. This success shows just how talented Fox is. When his disease got worse, he left the show and had Charlie Sheen replace him. And not surprising, Sheen did a great job. Say what you will about Charlie Sheen, but he's talented. The Frighteners is good. And then he did the voiceover as Stuart Little. Such an engaging film, right? Stuart Litter. Oh my gosh, it, it's just so great. That voice, Michael J. Fox's voice in that little mouse. Are you fucking kidding me? Brilliant. Michael also makes 26 appearances in the hit television show, The Good Wife. He was nominated for four Emmys with this guest appearance. Michael J. Fox is a dedicated, talented, focused, and hard-driven artist. His energy has no equal. I think of Michael and I smile. His performances, they mean something to me. I'll put it even more plainly. They mean the world to me. What is it about him? You know, maybe he reminds me of myself. A small guy, little guy, the underdog type guy. Wiry, always very positive, but scared of everything, you know, or what's around the corner. Likeable, approachable, kind, and willing to do anything to lighten the mood with a joke or a gesture. The world is a better place with someone like Michael around. Just think of how many people admire your ability to do such engaging work, Michael. You have made millions smile already. Just think of how many billions more you will make smile in the future. Thank you, Michael J. Fox, for making me laugh. I never get tired of your performances. That rare talent that can take one single joke and get four different laughs. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to this episode of The Actors Room. Once again, my name is Jeff Tarowski, and I hope you enjoyed the show with Michael J. Fox. Kind of an emotional, fun episode with uh, a lot of information. I uh, thought about maybe splitting it up into two sections, but I got all in what I wanted to get in. Doing the Michael J. Fox episode was a blast, and I hope you enjoyed it too. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Please. Support the show on the websites, on Twitter, Facebook. Got that donate button. Dollar. Dollar. 50 cents. Just, you know what? 25 cents. 
I haven't got any donations at all. It would be really cool to open up my account one day and see some, even if it said 25 fucking cents. Knowing that someone out there is going, you're doing a really nice job. Here's a little something. That 25 cents, and I'm not kidding, would go so long with me. Uh, it, I know, that sounds kind of messed up, doesn't it? I mean, it's 25 cents. You can find 20, 25 cents on the floor, right, I don't know, in an hour. You can go and find it somewhere if you look hard enough. But it just means that someone is giving something to the show. Uh, I haven't got much support, I'll be quite honest with you. So that would really mean a lot to me. So you know what I'm going to say next? I'm going to say this. Put in that movie tonight one that makes you feel happy or one that makes you feel sad. It all depends on what kind of day you had. All right. I'm out of here. And I hope you enjoyed the show once again. The Michael J. Fox episode of The Actors Room. God bless you. Have a good one.